are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Right after I moved here eight years ago, Mark Petritus invited me to attend Celebrate Recovery one night. And so I'd never been to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. I'd never been to an Alcoholic Anonymous meeting. I'd never been to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. I felt like because of television, I had some sense of an idea of what it was like. When I walked in the room that night, there were more than 100 people. And what happened next to experience it in the moment was overwhelming. Everybody who stood up actually confessed who they really were. They confessed weaknesses. They confessed failures. And sometimes they confessed sin. And what was amazing was there wasn't judgment that met them. In in fact, it was the opposite. What they were met with was love and support and encouragement. So I guess I walked in the room this morning with a question for you. And the question that I wanted to ask you was simply this. How often do you have conversations with others? Or maybe even a close, trusted friend. A conversation about your true self. I'm not talking about a random conversation that you might have talking about what you did yesterday. I'm talking about a conversation about who you really are. So Dale Galloway, while I was at Asbury Seminary, was one of my professors. He pastored a church in Oregon called Hope Church, church of several, grown to several thousand members. And, and, and he says, what do you think the most popular sermon that I preached there in all the years that I was at Hope Church? He said, the reason we knew sermons were popular was because in those days we duplicated cassette tapes. So what, what sermon do you think the most cassette tapes was requested of of all the years that I pastored there. And he said it was a sermon titled, My Secret Sins. The stuff in my life that nobody knows about. The stuff in my life that I've shoved under the bed or that I've hidden away in a closet. The stuff in my life that that nobody else living is aware of. I, I grew up with this phrase, open book. I, I, I can remember my mother saying, that man is an open book. And over the years, I've pondered that question or that idea in my mind, wondering, how many open books are there really? And, and how many books have barely been cracked open? And so... You, you might say, well, Rick, here we are this morning, and, 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 and we're kind of talking about, you know, healing conversations, but you're talking about, you know, talking about our true selves. And here's why we're going that direction. It's simply this right here. Because self-disclosure is vital in healing conversations. We're talking about being real with one another. The the, the temptation is the absolute opposite of this. Instead of me, you know, being self-disclosing in conversations, the temptation is to wear a mask. And I don't mean this kind of mask right here. I'm talking about a mask where where that we try to wear this face that says, 
I'm, I'm okay. In fact, I'm great. In fact, I've got it all together. And we found this, this tool in recent days called social media. And so I think we, we try to appear to be okay. And we have found a tool in social media to where that we post images or pictures that would depict a perfect family. Or we post pictures that depicts a perfect look. Or pictures that depict a perfect life. When in reality, we know deep in our hearts that our family is anything but perfect. And there's probably more about our look that we don't like than we do. And our life is anything but perfect. And so what's interesting to me as we open the Word of God this morning to James, if you want to grab your Bible... And open it to chapter 5, verse 13. We find this encouragement not to wear a mask or try to project an image. But what we're encouraged instead to do is to talk to one another about our troubles and about our weaknesses, about our failures about our sicknesses, and to ask other people to pray for us. In fact, we're even encouraged to confess to one another our sins, as foreign as that may feel or seem to you. And so, James is the leader of the Church of Jerusalem. Now, we call ourselves here Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. And when we say that, we're saying we are the first Nazarene church to ever establish itself in the city of Bethany, Oklahoma. In the Nazarene world, we're not very good at having second churches of the Nazarene. I know there's a very large church down in Dallas called Second Baptist Church. In the Nazarene world, we always want to be first, so we don't do second Nazarene, okay? But this church that James is leading in Jerusalem is literally first church. So when I say first church, I mean first group of Christians who ever gathered together anywhere. This is the first church of Jesus Christ, period, okay? And so this group of Christians, made up of mostly Jews who have converted to Christianity, Messianic Jews, are being persecuted by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. James is leading that church, and he's writing to people who have also been scattered under the persecution of the church. And he says in chapter 1, to the 12 tribes scattered. And so his language is for every follower, literally, of Jesus Christ everywhere. It's a summary of the wisdom that James has, his ability to cut to the chase, to get to the point, to go to the bottom line, and to say this is what matters in life. And so we'll go with verse 13 of chapter 5, okay? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
So this is God's word for us today. When I was a, uh, a youth pastor, I was in Kansas City, and I was at Kansas City First Church of the Nazarene. And I remember one Sunday morning, our pastor, Dr. Keith Wright, had preached. And at the end of the sermon, he gave an invitation for people to come forward and pray at the altars. And several people did. And so being a pastor on the staff, you might remember those days we all sat on the platform. And I came off the platform and I walked down and I knelt down on the other side of the altar from a man that I knew who was maybe in his late 60s. And so I knew his name, and I called him by his name and said, can, can I pray with you today? And he said, you know, Rick, I think what I want you to do is go get me a microphone and bring it to me. Would you do that for me? And so somehow maybe God gave me a little wisdom to say, George, <laughs> what, what is it that you want to do with the microphone? And he said, you know, almost 30 years ago now, I was unfaithful to my wife. I've been carrying this for 30 years now. And today I think I need to confess it. I want to get it off my chest. And I think I need to make it right. And I said, does your wife know? And he said, no. I said, let me get you the senior pastor instead. And so I go get the senior pastor. You really need to come now, you know. And so that day he didn't confess his sin to the whole church in front of his wife. Most of us are on the other side of that conversation, don't you think? Uh, most of us are not anxious to confess our sin with the whole church. In fact, I think where most of us live is simply here. I think we are, if I can get this slide up, much more comfortable talking about troubles and sickness than we are confessing our sins to one another. So when I read this passage, I want to identify with James and say, hey, I'm okay to talk about troubles that I've had. In fact, I'm okay to talk about the sickness that I've had or the sickness that I'm going through. But if you're asking me right here to confess my sins to the people around me, I don't know that I'm very comfortable with that at all. So, so let me dig in with you just a little bit into this passage, because if we're going to be true to the passage this morning, we're going to have to admit that the passage is really more about prayer than anything else. It's about praying when you're in trouble. It's about praying when you are sick. It's about praying when you have sinned. It's about getting other people to come along with you and pray with you and pray for you. There's this verse in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis that feels like it was almost just randomly put in the Bible. It's after a conversation about Eve giving birth to Seth because I've lost my other son. And then it just simply says, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, people began this form of communication, talking to and listening to God that we call prayer. I don't know if it didn't happen before then or if it just so happens that the biblical author says it was around this season that people began to do this thing that we call pray. And so the good news is, is that if we're sick, we can pray. If we're in trouble, we can pray. If we have sinned and need forgiveness, we can pray. N.T. Wright 
says something powerful. I wanted to bring the words to you. He said, heaven and earth meet when we call on the name of the Lord. In other words, N.T. Wright says, I think there's a very thin place. I think the distance between heaven and earth becomes very short. I think the veil that separates heaven and earth becomes very sheer. When we call on the name of the Lord, when we pray, he goes on to say, let me show you, the person praying stands with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, and with the other foot in the place of hope, healing, and forgiveness. In other words, when I come to the Lord and I'm in trouble, I stand with my foot in one place of trouble, but my other foot is in the place of help. And when I come to the Lord praying when I'm sick, I stand with one foot in a place of sickness, but another foot in the place of healing. When I pray and I come before the name of the Lord and I'm going through a season of my life when I have sinned, I stand with one foot in a place of sin, but the other foot in the place of forgiveness. It's a very thin place when we pray. So the really good news is when you find yourself in trouble or when you find yourself sick or when you find yourself having sinned, Pray. But there's this community element that James brings into it. It's not that we just pray, but that we call other people to come and pray with us. In fact, we sometimes find ourselves confessing to one another besides confessing to God that I have found myself in a place of sin. And so that's where that progression starts. He begins with this kind of language. Okay, so is anybody in trouble? Let them pray. Is anybody happy? Sing songs. The goal always is, in a time of, of adversity, to find yourself not only saying, Lord, I need you, but finding this place of trust that results in a life that is filled with joy, even in the darkest hours of your life, that I know I'm going through some really tough times, and I know I found myself at a point of trouble. But because I trust God, and I know that God is with me, there is a deep-seated sense of confidence and even joy as I walk through these dark days that God is going to bring me through. So let's talk about the second element. The year 2020 has been pretty much defined by the coronavirus, COVID-19. So I, I don't know about you, but, but, but in those early months, in fact, it, it went on for a long time that it just felt like to me, I don't know anybody personally who has this disease. And, and I, would, I would read the news and I would watch the television news programs and I would see these numbers of people who had the disease and numbers of people who were dying and I just, I just thought, well, I... It's just everybody but my friends. I, I, I don't seem to know anybody. I would hear once in a while of a friend of a friend or a parent of a friend, but I didn't seem to know anybody who had COVID-19. Recently, for me, that story has changed dramatically. It seems like I'm in a place right now to where almost daily I learn of someone else that I know that has the disease. And so things have changed. Just this week we learned that our president, President Trump, has contracted the virus. And so we have a lady who has been a part of our church 
77 days she spent in the hospital. We have another man who is a friend of mine who is a part of our church family. He's in a hospital. He's struggling terribly with respiratory issues. Struggling to breathe. And, and that's simply why that we say to you would, you, would you wear a mask when you come to church? I told you last week, there is so much that I don't know. I confess to you that there is so much about this virus that I don't know. And it's often that I would say to you, I don't know who to believe. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an infectious disease specialist. But we have many doctors who are a part of our congregation. And I consult with them often. And I've come to the place that it seems to me that wearing a mask might help us not to pass the disease along to someone else. And so that's why we ask you to do that. So what do you do, Rick, for the people who already have the disease? What do you do for your friend who is, who is sick in the hospital today? What do you do for others who are suffering from it? And James says, if somebody among you is sick, call the elders of the church together, anoint them with oil, and pray for them. In other words, you don't live through your sickness alone. You don't live through your sickness without letting someone else know. You don't live through your sickness without asking other people in the church to pray with you and to pray for you. And so yesterday morning, I walked into the room where my wife Annette was, and I said, hey, let me put a drop of oil on your head, and let's pray for our friend who is struggling so bad today and who is in the hospital, and let's ask God to bring healing to him. And so I took a little bottle of oil, and I put it on my finger, and I laid it on Annette's head, and we stood there together arm in arm, and we prayed for our friend, and we prayed for his healing. What I think happens when we read this verse is we have more questions than we have answers to. Because it seems to me that James is saying there's some kind of a connection between sin and sickness. Is that what he's saying? Is, is James trying to communicate that? Is he trying to say there is, there's a connection somehow between, between sin and sickness? We know that that's how the people in Jesus' day thought. That was a Jewish way of thinking. Do you remember the disciples asking Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus destroys that kind of thinking, and he says, nobody sinned. Sin is not directly always connected to sickness. Now, obviously, it could be. We could think of examples like that. But Jesus says, we live in a fallen world. People sometimes get sick. Life is not fair. Really bad things happen to really good people. Death is now a part of human existence because of the fall. Death with all of its preliminaries like sickness and pain and suffering. That's the world we live in. I think the other question that we deal with is simply, well, he talks like everybody gets healed. Does he mean everybody would be healed? If that's what he means, it really contradicts what else James says throughout the book about this enduring the trials and what God does in our hearts when we go through those trials and endure them. I, I think where we, really, where we really get hung up as we read the passage is this conversation about confessing our sins to one another. I thought I was supposed to confess my sins to God. 
Because God only has the power to forgive me my sins, right? And so if I'm supposed to confess my sins to other people, which other people am I supposed to confess my sins to and how many? I certainly don't think you need to ask for a microphone on Sunday morning at church, okay? And in the midst of all of your questions, don't overlook the really good news here. When we find ourselves in times of trouble and when we find ourselves sick and when we find ourselves in sin, not only can we pray and ask God for help, but we go to others and we ask them to be confident in our confession. And walk with us as we find healing. So you remember the name John Wesley really well. As Nazarenes, we would say that he has had the most influence on our forming our theology than any other person in the world. He lived in the 1700s. Not all of them, but most of them. John Wesley was an Anglican clergyman, theologian, evangelist. He is credited as being the one most responsible for the great Wesleyan revival in England in the 1700s. He was an outdoor preacher. Because of many of his beliefs, the doors to the Anglican church wasn't always open to him. And so he went to where the poor were. To where the masses were. And, and after Wesley preached to the masses, and people began to give their hearts to Jesus, and he was overwhelmed at the great response of the people, he began to realize that we've got to do something with all of these people. The truth was, all of them were not welcomed into the Anglican church either. He formed what he called societies. They met on Sunday nights. He built Methodist chapels all over England. But then he took it a step further. And he said, if we're really going to disciple these people, somehow we've got to get them in smaller circles. And so he formed what he called class meetings. Small groups of maybe 10 to 12 people. Now, the reason they called him a Methodist was because he was so methodical. And here's what a class meeting would look like. Uh, he said, when you come together, I want you to do three things. The first thing I want you to do is to review the general rules. Now, the general rules went like this. Do no harm. In other words, there's some things that you shouldn't do, so don't do them. Simple, huh? The second thing was do good. In other words, there's some things you should be doing, so do them. And the third thing was keep the ordinances of God. And Wesley said the ordinance of God look like this. Give strong attention to weekly worshiping together. The ministry of the Word is very important. Corporate prayer is very important. He also talked about ordinances like having your own one-on-one -on -one time with God. We talk about practices here all the time. That's what Wesley was referring to when he said the ordinances of God. Spend time daily in the Word of God yourself. Spend time in private prayer and spend time in family prayer. Give time to fasting. Give time to service. And so after they would review the general rules, number two, Wesley said to them, 
I think you should receive an offering for the poor. Every week, I think you should receive an offering for the poor. I celebrated your giving a couple of weeks ago and how that even through COVID, you've been so faithful to give. And those of you who are not yet worshiping in person, you've been faithful to give. On top of that, early on, you gave an additional $30,000 saying, we're concerned there might be the poor among us and are they going to have food to eat? And on top of that, just last month, you gave over $130,000 to our work in Eswatini. Wesley would have said giving to the poor is very important. If you don't find yourself giving regularly right now to a ministry to the poor, I would say to you, I think you really ought to pray hard about doing that. The third thing they did, and the final thing, was they asked a question. How is it with your soul? Now, can you imagine sitting in a, in a group today of maybe 12 people? And the group leader said, now we need to know how it is with your soul. I, I've read a great deal about asking this question. It wasn't just tell us, how was your day yesterday? There was a full expectation of saying, how is your prayer life? How is your study of the Word? How are you handling temptation to sin? Are you resisting temptation to sin? I can only imagine it was, it was that time of the meeting where everybody kind of stared at the carpet, you know? As one individual after another was just very open and transparent about how they were doing, excuse me, in their relationship with Jesus. For Wesley, he came to believe that help and healing and forgiveness was a communal experience. It happened in the context of community. And for there to be that event, there has to be self-disclosure. And so you know the rest of the story. George Whitfield was a more famous, more popular preacher than Wesley. More people came to hear Whitfield preach. But Whitfield said in his later years that Wesley has all of Methodism to show for his revival efforts. And he said, my converts are but a rope of sand. In other words, I don't know where they are. I don't know what's happened to them. I don't know what's taken place after they left my meeting. There's something about real spiritual growth and transparency. The, the greater conversation here is about not trying to appear that I've got it all together or that my family is perfect or my life is perfect, but to live in open transparency in regard to our own weaknesses and our own failures. So I, I, I don't think this is a matter of just everybody you meet just doing a total brain dump of everything going on in your life and all of your stuff. That drives people away. I know. I've driven a lot of people away over the years. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> and, and I don't think it's about just saying it to everybody that you come across. I think for Wesley, it was a trusted view that you had built deep relationships with over a period of time. Let me, let me, let me finish with this. I was, I was at a conference 
years ago. I'd been preaching every Sunday for about four years. And, and I went to this conference, and this well-known preacher stood up. And, and it was almost 30 years ago now, but, but I remember really well what he said. He said, when you preach, Sundays come along with amazing regularity. And instead of saying he was humbled, which he was to preach, he openly admitted the pressure of preaching. Now, I'm, I'm a young preacher. I, I, I know in my heart that if I feel good about Sunday sermon on Monday morning, in six days I'm up. And I better get busy. And I remember when he said those words, it was like there's somebody in the world who understands me. Somebody knows what I feel. I think his willingness to be self-disclosing is a great example in every area of our lives. When, when we're willing to be open with others about our weaknesses and about our failures and even about our sin. I think that many times the person on the other end of the conversation says, and I thought I was the only one. I deal with it too. So let me give you one line from my friend Dave Roberts' book that we're reading together, okay? And he says, where we are most vulnerable is where we are most valuable. When I'm willing to share with you my weaknesses sometimes where I'm most valuable to you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.